we're going to get real today. Are you ready to get real? Yeah. <laughs> Before I even get started, I want to say this. This is a message that I know that the Lord has put on my heart for us. The question of why does God allow suffering in our lives? It's a question that we all have, right? Because we have, we've all been touched by suffering. And I don't know about you, but in my life, there have been times where I've asked why God, and there have been times, guys, where I've wanted to walk away from God because I didn't understand. So maybe that's you today, <laughs> but it's me, and it's been me. And before we get too far into this, I want to say this, that talking about the topic biblically of suffering and, and trying to understand God better in the midst of it, since we all are dealing with suffering, I would much rather talk to you in my living room about the suffering that you faced in your own life. And so I know it can be kind of a hard thing to talk about suffering on a bigger scale or on a broader scale for everyone, but it's so personal, right? So I wish you were in my living room today <laughs> talking about this, and maybe you feel like you really do need to talk about it, and we would love to sit down with you more and talk to you more one-on-one -on -one about suffering. Something I don't want to forget to recognize today as we're talking about evil in the world because we're surrounded by evil in our world. I don't know if you know that or not. And we're surrounded by war and we're surrounded by violence. And I just want to say a special thank you <laughs> to anyone who has served in the military and maybe in particular those who've given their lives to protect our freedom and our innocence. God is at work in the world for justice. Many times he's gonna use your hands and your voice. And so we're very thankful for those who've given their lives for our freedom and our innocence in this country. I was talking to a woman not too long ago, several weeks ago, stopped in to visit, found out that she was facing cancer. Many of you have had cancer or you've had cancer in your family. I have, my father had cancer. And he's in remission now. We've, we've walked down that road and that fear that it could always come back, right? Like we've been there. And this person opened up to me and in a moment of, of, of just transparency, she looked at me and she said, you know, sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder if I've done something wrong. And that's why God has allowed me to have cancer. My wife and I were foster parents. I don't want to forget our kids. Our kids are foster brothers and sisters. And let me tell you guys, every child that comes into our home from a broken family, they don't always go to good places when it's time for them to come home. That's one of the most difficult burdens I bear because you know what? Every child who's ever been in my home is my child. I tell them before they leave, look, if you, if you get away from home when you're 16, 17, 18, and you need help, you come to me. Vanderplug is not that hard to find, right? <laughs> if you look up Vanderplug, you're going to find me or my parents or my siblings probably. And sometimes I drive past that trailer where I know things aren't going good and one of my kids are in there. And I wonder why. 
when I was working on my doctorate, I did um, a research project on what, on how the church should reach unchurched people, people who used to go to church and stopped coming all together, and de-churched people, people who have never darkened the door of a church. And I did a series of interviews with people who had walked away from the faith to find out what, what it was for them. I want to read some comments from one. Her name was Christy. And here's what she said. I've gone to a few different churches of various denominations. I quit going because I was a non-believer and attending services made me very uncomfortable and often caused me panic attacks. Not including my minor and sporadic involvement in BCM or Baptist Collegiate Ministries, I haven't regularly attended church for seven or eight years. My biggest issue is, as a victim of rape and abuse, Believing in a God who forces suffering on innocent people as a lesson to other people. Even if, I, even if because I was chosen as a lesson, I will be rewarded in heaven later, doesn't make me any more inclined to believe. I don't want to get out of jail free card. I want to know that I'm safe in the hands of my higher power. Can you hear that? I can even hear in her comments things that Christians say sometimes that haven't helped her. Could you hear those? We're going to talk about those. Here's the problem, guys, for many people who don't believe in God. We're going to follow a logical, philosophical argument for a minute. Just follow with me. God is, by definition, all-powerful and all-good. Is that true? Yes. If God is all-powerful, God could prevent evil things from happening. If God is all-good, God would want to prevent evil things from happening. But evil things happen. Therefore, God either doesn't exist or God is not good. Can you follow that? There's many people in our world today who refuse to believe in God. Because Christians don't understand God and we don't have a way of explaining the truth. Sometimes as Christians, we add more to the confusion than we do to actually help people. Our best intentions sometimes don't help. But there's some problems with this logical argument, right? There's some questions we need to ask. One question we need to ask is what is evil? That needs to be clarified. If we're going to talk about evil, we need to understand what evil is. Number two, what causes evil? If there is evil in the world and we know what evil is, what makes evil happen? And number three, how does God see evil? These are three very important questions. If we're going to talk about this philosophical argument or these emotions and logical reasoning going on in the mind of unbelievers and people who are hurt, we have to be able to talk about those three questions. So the answer, guys, is really one of purpose. Here's, the big, here's where it all begins. Here's the biggest question of all. Why did God make you? Why are you here? And Christians are going to give different answers to that question. But there's really only one correct answer to that question. 
And that's the question I want to answer this morning to help us get to a better understanding of what the Bible says about evil and suffering. The first thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes this morning is this truth, okay? God created you for relationship. That's why you're here. That's why we live on this ball called earth and there's people walking around on it instead of giraffes, right? God could have made a giant petting zoo if he wanted one, but he didn't. He made people. Why did he make people? Why did he make people in his image? He created you for relationship. Here's where we get this wrong as Christians sometimes. All right, if I asked you today, why did God create you? How many people, your first inclination would be to say to glorify God? You can raise your hand if that's you, right? That's, I learned that in Sunday school. You know, we had the little, you know, Velcro figures and stuff. Some people I might ask you, why did, why did God create you? You might say to serve God. Is that anybody? Have you heard that one before? To serve God, to glorify God? Listen, we, we do serve God. We do bring God glory. Here's the problem, guys. God has all of the glory all of the time. Nothing that you do ever gives him more glory. He has it all. He doesn't need or want more. He's maximum glory constantly and always. There's no lack or deficiency in the glory of God. You can't take away from his glory and you can't add to his glory and neither can I. So while we do glorify God, he did not create you for his glory. He already has glory. His glory cup is full. He doesn't need anything added to it. Listen to Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 25. Here's the context. Paul is in Athens and he's talking to philosophers, all right? The Greek philosophers, basically some of the smartest people in his time. He's in this city and he's going to share the gospel with them. Listen to what he says in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord or master of heaven and earth. And he doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. This is Paul being a little bit snarky. Like, you guys think you're worshiping God and you're giving him food to eat? Are you kidding me? You're building a temple for his glory? Are you kidding me? Is he God or not? God isn't served by human hands because he doesn't need anything from you and me. He's full. Listen to this part. But rather, he himself gives everyone, life and breath and everything else. Guys, God did not create you to get something from you. God created you to give you something you didn't have. You were created to receive from a benefactor. That's why you're here. God is not seeking something from you and me. The only thing that God could give us that doesn't show a weakness on his part 
is this, and I want you to put this in your heart, okay? God created you to love you. That's why he made the world. That's why he made people in his image, is he created you to love you. John 3.16, we know this, right? says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Not life alone. Not life in some gold mansion. But life eternal with him because that's why you're here. Listen to John 17, verse 20. Jesus is praying for believers. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. Speaking of the apostles, he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, united with God. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them, even as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And you can go on and read the rest of the chapter. It's just like that, guys. God created you and me to love us. He created us to give us something we didn't have. And we have to clarify that out of the gate because for God, it all begins and ends with relationship. That's the big idea. It all begins and ends with relationship. Relationship is what God wants. Relationship is what God is waiting for. The second truth I want us to recognize this morning is that God created us free. God created us free. So what is evil? That was our first question, right? What is evil? Guys, evil is the absence of good. It's the same way that darkness is the absence of light. If our guys turn off the lights in here, it will be completely dark because there's an absence of light. And evil is the absence of good. Evil was never created. Evil didn't need to be created. For all of eternity, the, the, the ability for evil to exist has always existed. The moment God was good, everything else was less good. The moment God created man and said, this is good, everything else became less good. Evil was never created. Evil has always been around. It's the absence of good. It's the absence of God. So what causes evil? God didn't create evil. God created freedom. God created freedom. Listen to James chapter one, verse 13. James, this is Jesus' brother. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, that's us, 
is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. What is a wage? Some of you guys own businesses, right? What is a wage? It's when you pay someone for work they've rendered, right? It's giving someone what they deserve. It's giving someone what they earned. In Romans, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So freedom causes evil, guys. God created you and I absolutely free. Now, there are some good people who will disagree with me on this, and you can be wrong. <laughs> we can talk about it. We can meet in my office and talk about how free you are, but bring your Bible, okay? Because that's where we're going to go, through the Word. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that bad things happen when you and I choose to do bad things. God created a world free with free people in it. And as a result, sometimes we choose good things, sometimes we choose bad things. Truth number three, God allows us to experience the effects and consequences of sin. God allows us to experience the effects and consequences of sin. God lets people, you and me, make our own choices and we experience the consequences of those choices. And not only do we experience the consequences of our choices, I experience some of the consequences of your choices. We experience the consequences of everyone's choices. We live in a world, guys, that is, is full of absolutely free people who sometimes choose to do what God is leading them to do and sometimes, more oftentimes, choose to go against what God is leading them to do. And we live in a world that looks the way it looks now. But it's not because God created evil. It's because God created free people. And we made the world look the way it looks. We do. I do. My decisions affect my life. My de decisions affect my wife's life. My decisions affect my kid's life. My decisions affect your life. Listen to Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 25. I know we're going through a lot of scripture. You guys okay with that? If we don't find the truth in scripture, we got nowhere to find it, okay? Romans 1 verse 18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of who? People. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, we like to do the wrong thing and we go la, 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 la. When God tries to speak to us. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that people don't have an excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. He's talking about idol worship in this time, but listen, anything you and I give our heart and attention to more than God is an idol just as much as those statues. It's the same exact thing. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. In other words, God let people get what they wanted so bad. God will let us, guys. He will let us walk away from following him, go la, 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 when the Spirit is speaking to us, and he'll say, all right, if that's the path you want to go down. Their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Here's the thing, guys, I want you to realize this morning is that our hearts are like little boxes, they're like little boxes with a slot in the top where we can put truths in there. When we learn things about God or somebody says something to us that we believe is true about God, it's almost just imagine with me, it's almost like we write that on a little piece of paper and we drop it in our heart and we keep it there. We'll call it our truth box. <laughs> but many of the things we have in our truth box are not actually true. You may have been raised in a church where they, where they taught you things that weren't true. You may have been raised in a church where people beat you over the head and it wasn't the gospel of grace. That's not true. But sometimes those, those lies reside, they stay. What God wants to do today, guys, is he wants to reach into our truth box, take some of those pieces of paper out and dispose of them and replace them with real truth. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want our hearts to be darkened. And maybe today you've been going la, 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 la to the Holy Spirit and you can stop it today. You can say, you know what, God, I haven't been listening, but I do want to listen now. Proverbs 1, 29 says this, since they, that's us, hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice, this is God speaking, and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. I want to give you an illustration, and this one is entirely fictional, but maybe it applies to your life, or maybe it's going gonna, it's gonna to remind you of something. But I just want to give us a scenario. A man is an alcoholic. He's been an alcoholic for many years. Maybe he lost his wife six years ago. Hasn't been able to stop drinking since. Just trying to drown the pain. He gets up on a Saturday morning. He's got things to do, but he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to do them. So he goes and he gets in his car 
He's already drank a lot. He's going to pick up some more. And as he's going down the road, not paying much attention, little girl rides out in the street on a bicycle and he hits her. Now, most of us in the room would say, why God? Why God? Why did you let that happen? Right? Am I, am I the only one who asks these questions? But let me ask you a question. Let's just say God chose to intervene in that situation. Maybe the neighbor's cat ran across the driveway and he backed over it and stopped. Never made it down the road to where the little girl was. God divinely stepped in and, and, and stopped him. How long do you think it would take before God would have to divinely intervene in that same man's life again to keep him from sinning again? 10 minutes? Seven minutes? Two minutes? 30 seconds? The truth is, guys, we're, way, we're very quick to say, God, you should divinely control this person. But the moment God starts doing that, guys, it's endless. In order for God to keep this guy from sinning, he, he would have to never, I would have to be his puppet. I would have to be. I'm enough of an idiot. Despite the Spirit's pleas in my life, I still disobey God. But what is sacrificed? What happens if God intervenes like that? What happens if God makes people do the right thing? Well, we all become puppets then, right? But what does he lose? What do we lose? The relationship is gone. The love is gone. If I said to you guys, listen, I have the best wife in the world. She loves me way better than all of your wives do. You know how I know that? Because she stayed with me for 16 years. You'd be like, well, that's a little bit arrogant, Phil, but okay, right? And then I'm like, yeah, man, I've only had to keep her in the basement for 15. <laughs> Number one, you should call the police. <laughs> but you'd say, no, Phil, that doesn't count. She's locked in the basement and can't leave. You can't say that she loves you. And you'd be right. And God's not an idiot. If he makes you love him, it's not love. So the world is full of free people who make bad choices. And here, guys, here's where it gets really crazy. Have you ever thrown a rock into a lake or river and watched the ripples just go? If, if a lake is totally peaceful, doesn't matter how big it is, if you throw a brick in there, those ripples are gonna go and go and go and go and go and go and go until, until they interact with another force somewhere else, like a shore or a wave or a boat. They're gonna keep going. Our choices are like that. 
Our choices affect everybody. Let me give you another scenario. Since I'm such a bad driver, just ask Austin. That's why I ride with him most of the time. But I'm coming home from work one day and I'm in a hurry, right? I'm five minutes late. My wife's expecting me home. I'm just going through traffic like this. Lo and behold, here's a guy just got fired from his job. He's at the end of himself. And I un, un, you know, without me knowing about it, I just cut this guy off. It's nothing against him. I'm just in a hurry. I have a right to be in a hurry, right? But how does that affect his life? It could be the, the straw that broke the camel's back in his life. I, I could have a short temper because, you know, summer break isn't quite here yet. And I tell someone off, but it might be the last words they ever hear. Guys, our world does not look good, but that's because God created it free. And we're constantly feeling the effects of our choices and everyone else's choices. But here's the problem. A world without choice is a world without love. A world without choice is a world without love. I was in New Orleans with a group of college students one time and we were in the French Quarter and we'd set up a table, you know, um, and this table like glowed in the dark, or not the table, the sign glowed in the dark and uh, it was nighttime and there were tarot card readers and stuff all around, they hated us, but they were all around us. And uh, on one side of the sign, it said, ask any question you have about God. And on the other side, it said, tell us what you really think about God. And we had people come up to the table. Some of them had questions. Some of them wanted to tell us off. You know what we did when they told us off? We just listened. We just listened. Let people vent. They usually give you an opportunity to say something. Well, this guy comes walking up to me, man. <laughs> he and his wife, and they look steamed. Like, I saw them make eye contact with me, like, across the park. And they came walking up and the wife says to me, she says, what business do you have setting up a table like this? And I said, oh, probably none, but do you have a question or, you know? And the husband says, well, I'm a professor. You don't want me to start asking questions. And I said, I absolutely, I do. I want to hear anything you have to say. So he went on and on. We ended up talking for like an hour and a half in like 95 degree weather. This guy was about to die. <laughs> I was about to die. But we got past all the intellectual arguments and stuff like that, which don't really work. And we got to the heart of the matter. And he says, well, if God was real, why would he create a world like this? If God loved us, why would he put us in a world that looks like this? And guys, there were answers I probably could have given, but I felt the Holy Spirit come on me. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit come on you? I, I felt the tingles, man. And I felt like I was getting information doo -doo 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 -doo, from like God, you know? And I just looked at him and I said, well, you have children. One of your daughters is standing right here. Why did you do it? Why did you do it? You knew what the world was like. 
before you and your wife chose to have children? He didn't have a reply. And I knew I needed to extend an olive branch. And I said, listen, man, I know why you did. Because you wanted to love her. You hoped that she would see the light amidst all the darkness. And God is the same way with you. He's the same way with you. Guys, even illness and sickness are a result of living in a fallen world. That woman I referred to earlier, before I left, I looked her in the eye and I said, you rest assured that you do not have cancer because God is angry with you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God didn't make her sick. But we live in a world full of problems, full of sin, full of bad choices and disease and war and fear and anxiety. These aren't things God created. They're part of living in a fallen world. This is why God wants us to pray with authority over people who are sick. Because we serve a God who heals. You might be sick today and you need to go to our prayer room so that we can pray for you. We see people healed at four points. But you know, every faith healer who has ever lived has died. All the faith in the world didn't keep Smith Wigglesworth alive. At some point, God calls us home and we're not so mean that we want people here when God is bringing them home. This is way better. But he commands us to pray with authority over people who are sick and that's what we do. Here's what we got to remember, guys. God didn't create this world for perfection. He created this world for redemption. God didn't create this world for perfection. He created this world for redemption. Let's look back at Christie's story, the one I read in the beginning. We have to be so careful and clear, guys, when we talk to people about what God wants and who God is. You want to hear something we say all the time? God is in control. Anybody ever said that? But what do we mean when we say God is in control? Because if God causes evil things to happen, then God needs a savior for himself. He doesn't need a savior for himself. Because as James says, God doesn't sin. He's not tempted by sin and he never causes or tempts anyone else to sin. We do that. But here's what we really mean when we say God is in control. Listen to Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Does God orchestrate the evil in my life? Absolutely not. Does God cause evil things to happen in your life? Absolutely not. Does God take evil things 
and work them into good things all day long. All day long. It doesn't matter what you've dealt with. The end is good. Put your faith in God. Trust God with the hurt. Trust God with the person who hurts you. He's a good judge. He hasn't forgotten. He hasn't forgotten what they did to you. And he will hold every action responsible and accountable. Here's another truth for us. God will judge evil. But be careful what you wish for. God will judge evil, but be careful what you wish for. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It's the apostle Peter writing to early Christians. Here's what he says. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Guys, God will judge and when he does, it will be a vicious thing. But why not now, Phil? Why not now? Because listen, if God were to start to judge sin right now, you're a sinner. One of the things that annoyed me the most being in a Baptist church sometimes <laughs> is if you ever noticed the hymn, the, the verse in the hymn where everyone gets stoked is the one about the rapture or the one about God's judgment. We sing about the cross. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, God's gonna take you to heaven and the world is gonna suck it. We're like, yes, 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 yes. But I know people who are lost. Do you? When God comes to judge, he will do it in the right time and in the perfect way. But I'm not praying for his judgment because I know people, I love people who will be swept away in that judgment. I'm not praying for that. I'm praying for revival. God can come when he wants to come. He will, he will bring judgment in his time, but I'm praying for mercy. I'm praying for grace. I'm praying for redemption. I'm praying for revival. Because God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to suffer eternity without him. In fact, if you go to eternity without him, you went over Jesus' dead body. Because he did everything he could to show you and I how much he loved us. And lastly, the gospel overcomes evil. It's like, what do we do now? We live in an evil world. Here's a question we often ask. God, why do bad things happen to good people? 
This, this has become my answer. You know what it is? What good people? You're not talking about me. What good people? I contribute to the evil in the world. This guy, every time I cut someone off, I'm in a hurry. And worse. John 16, verse 23. Let's take our hope in this. I have told you these things, Jesus says, so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. He knew it. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So here's how this applies to our lives, guys. Number one, there is a biblical and reasonable explanation for why evil exists in the world. We don't have to blame God. We should not blame God. God made the world free. We made the world evil. Number two, you can know that despite all the evil in the world, God is for you. He's on your team. He's with you to work evil things into good. When you do evil things, God forgives you. If you've given your life to him, he forgives you. If you ask God for a second, third, 40th chance, he gives it to you. When other people do evil things to you, God will judge that in his time, but he can work it into good. He'll be with you through it. If you're suffering with a sickness right now, you're feeling the, the, the powers of hell in the world and sin and evil. But God can give you a peace like you didn't have when you were well. God is closer to you than your own skin. And he wants you and I to feel it and to know it and to have peace in it. And lastly, God created you for relationship. Are you walking in that? If you know that the begin and ending of all things is God just wants to be with you, Are you living that? Do you have that? You can today. You can start right now. All you have to do is pray a prayer like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. Many times I haven't listened to you but I believe you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. And today, I surrender my life to you. Give me a new life of love and relationship. As we enter into this time of worship, I want to encourage you. Maybe you prayed that prayer right then. But talk to God. Surrender to Him. Whatever hurt you feel, guys, 
whatever suffering, you can trust God. He loves you. He hasn't brought it into your life. But he died so he could walk with you through it. Father, I pray that we would know you better. We would love you more because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.